rest of us, when we grab our Bibles and make our way to the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 9. We're going to finish out this chapter this morning, beginning in verse 35 and running through verse 38. Back in the 1990s, there was a youth pastor from Michigan who coined a phrase to challenge her students that she was ministering to uh, with the initials WWJD. Eventually it became such a phenomenon that it started spreading across the nation and across the world. And there's a time, many of us probably remember when those initials WWJD were everywhere. Uh, I mean, I first encountered them when I was in high school, and uh, I understood what the question was, but you'd see it on t-shirts, you'd see it on bands, armbands, you would see it on hoodies and hats. And, uh, you know, my son, he, he loves armbands. It's kind of one of the things he's known for at school. I kind of worry because he has so many on his arm. I don't know if you know the, those tribes that wear the rings around their neck, and it goes up. I, I worry that he's going to have so many armbands when he's out running, his arm's just going to be dragging on the ground because it's got so much weight. But anyway, it'd be kind of cool to find him a vintage WWJD armband sometime. Um, when I was younger, it was the cool Christian thing to have. It was a cool Christian thing to do and to wear, and you knew you were a legit Christian high school or college student, if you had something WWJD on you or around you, and I imagine there are some people somewhere, maybe in this room, who even got a tattoo of WWJD on their body. The initials stood for, what would Jesus do? And it was meant to uh, prompt you to think, you know, would Jesus do this? Would Jesus treat this person this way? Would Jesus go to this place? Ultimately, is to ask ourselves, you know, am I acting like Jesus would act in these situations. And this youth pastor ultimately came up with one of the greatest youth fundraisers known to exist. I mean, this thing made a ton of money uh, to impact their ministry. And so I guess that's what we need to do, Jason, for fundraisers. Chili raises 80 bucks. We need a cool slogan. Um, Probably not, you know, Jesus is adequate or Jesus is sufficient um, or Jesus, he's always adequate. That's true. or Jesus had cool socks, that probably is not going to work. We need something to prompt kids to uh, seek after Jesus and want to uh, be like Jesus. And I have to be honest, the initials and the question never made me actually do something I wouldn't have done anyway. I mean, it really didn't convict my heart when I saw the initials or the question. But this morning, our focus is what would Jesus do? And what we're going to be doing walking through this passage is actually seeing what Jesus, in fact, did. And so let's read the word of the Lord. We'll be again in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35 and running through verse 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, we we do need you. We need you in our life. We need you to speak to our hearts the way only you can. We come before you because we need your grace. We need your forgiveness. We need your mercy. But Lord, sometimes we also need your discipline. And Lord, I pray in this time as, as we open your word that it would be your spirit that speaks to us all, that we would be transformed more like you, that we would actually see what your son did while he was on this earth, and we can imitate that. To be Jesus to people who have never met Jesus and never even heard his name. To be the light and the salt of this earth, the ambassadors of you working through us, that you might receive glory. 
And I'm praying in this moment that that is exactly what happens, that you be glorified, that your kingdom and will will come upon our hearts and our minds. And so give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is ready to be transformed and touched by you. Use me as an instrument of your righteousness, but let the words that come out of my mouth only be what you once said and spoken. You know, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the promises that now we are in your presence. And we come to your throne room of grace that we might find favor, that we might find more grace. So be as we walk through this, Lord, be our shepherd and our guide. And again, your kingdom and will be done in everyone here today. We praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the first thing I want us to see beginning in verse 35 is Jesus went to the people. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. So far in our series that we've been doing for a while now, is we've seen crowds coming to Jesus. We've seen people bringing other people to Jesus for healings or to have demons cast out. And at this stage of Jesus' ministry, which is still an early stage of his ministry, people are beginning to notice that there's something different about this man from Nazareth who actually stays in a house in Capernaum. And here in verse 35, we see it wasn't just the people that were going to Jesus, but Jesus went to the people. You could possibly refer to this section as the Jesus tour. As Jesus didn't just go to cities, but he also went to villages. The word for city is understood as a place of greater importance. It was a place where more people were gathered. It was a place where more commerce, and it was plentiful. It was a place where more trade happened. But Jesus didn't go to the place where everyone was gathered. He also went to the villages, which is to represent a less important place, a less populated area. As we already mentioned in our series, Jesus didn't go about these places looking for fanfare. He didn't just stick in the places where the largest people were so he could have the largest following. Jesus went to each one of these places, and he did so with a purpose. Jesus went to the people, and it says he went there teaching in their synagogues. The synagogue was a public gathering place for the Jewish people. And so almost every city, village would have a synagogue where the Jewish people could go and they could worship the Lord, they could hear the law of the Lord. It would be comparable to what we call church today, but it actually had even more implication because this was the public gathering place in the town. It's like what we do here in Stratford or where you live is we go to the sporting activities at the school or we go to a coffee shop. It's the public gathering area. Jesus went to these places because he knew that's where the people would be gathered. He went there because he wanted to deliver them understanding. That's what the teaching is implying. What it tells us is if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be imitators of Christ, to which the word of the Lord says that we're supposed to be, we have to go where people are gathered. We have to take Jesus outside the walls of the building. We have to go and proclaim the gospel to where people meet I'm not saying if you have a kid and you go to the extracurricular activity that you need to get up in the stands and start a Bible study right then and there, but we have to go to these places where people are gathered with intention. And the intention is to share about Jesus Christ and the gospel, to be where they are. We also see Jesus went to the people proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The word proclaim can also be read as he went preaching. He went to announce about the gospel he didn't just go to these social places to talk about the weather or to talk about politics. He went there to share the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And what the gospel consists is the understanding that there is one true God, and he has created man and woman in his image. It means all people, even the ones we don't agree with, they're made in the image of God. The gospel announces that Christ 
came because people were in their sin, and he came to live a life according to the standards and the holiness of God, a life that we could not, and he did that so that we could be forgiven because he died on the cross for the sins of the world. He rose again in three days to give forgiveness, to give eternal life. The gospel lets us know that we have to repent. As people who are in sin, we have to repent of our sin, and we have to confess our need for forgiveness, which is found in only Christ alone. This is what Jesus is proclaiming. This is what we have to go and proclaim as we go to these social gatherings. The proclaiming of the gospel, Jesus would have been saying that God's kingdom has come to earth and the Savior of the world is in the midst of the people. Again, to imitate him, we have to be intentional about having gospel-centered conversations with people. We're also told in verse 35 that Jesus went to the people healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus was the greatest miracle worker that ever walked the face of the earth, but the same power which he had to heal people is the same power that dwells in God's people through the Holy Spirit. We may not talk about miraculous things all the time in the Southern Baptist circle, but the reality is miracles still do happen, and we have to have faith in those things. But more importantly, when it talks about diseases and affliction, we have to realize that all people, as we've already stated, are infected with sin. And we as God's people have the only remedy. We have the only cure. As God's people, we cannot, again, keep Christ in the church building. We cannot just talk about the gospel in the church building or at Bible studies. But we have to be like Jesus. We have to go to where people are. You know, it used to be you would build a church and you open the doors and people would just show up. You wouldn't even have to invite them. We don't live in that sort of culture anymore. That was about 50 or 60 years ago where church would start and people would just show up. Here at church, this is the place where we come as God's people to be equipped for the ministry so we can go out into God's world as Christ's ambassadors with the message of salvation. The second thing Jesus did, verse 36, he saw the crowds. He saw the people. And we might say, you know what, I see people all the time. (laughs) I see you right now. You see me. But what this is implying is Jesus didn't just look at them. Jesus saw their need. He understood them. He didn't just see them. As we might sometimes with a judgmental thought in his head, he looked at them and he saw what they were lacking. Jesus looked at the people in the cities and the villages here, and he saw their state of being there in verse 36. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The word harassed carries the meaning of being confused. They were fatigued. They were dispirited. Jesus goes to these cities and new villages and he sees people that he loved and he saw how they were being led astray by the religious leaders who were putting so many burdens and laws and traditions upon them. He saw these people who were helpless, which carries the meaning of being dejected. They were cast down. They were distressed. We should stop there for a moment. Aren't there people in our life right now that are feeling that way? Helpless? Fatigued? We encounter people every day who are confused about the things of God. We encounter people every day who are fatigued about the burdens of inflation and the burdens of politics. We find people every day who are dispirited with no means of hope. 
People are distressed and running to turning to drugs and to alcohol, trying to fill a void because they don't understand what that void is, and they find out that doesn't work. The world has beaten people down, and they, can't, they feel like they can't get out of the hole they're in. They're stuck. There are people all around us right now that God has purposely brought into our life that feel dejected. The word carries the meaning of being depressed. They feel overwhelmed. I mean, all we have to do is we have to turn on the news or you open up your device and read that the world is hurting. We can see that all around us. The world is hurting, and this is why they're acting the way they do. They, the problem is they're confused about what is actually causing the pain. And we want to point the finger at a government or a group of people or activists or other countries, but the real problem, the real source, as we've already stated, is their sin. And they're confused about their sinful nature, so they run to all these things trying to find a way out, because they don't know the way out. But again, we've got the message. We've got the message. Again, we have the answer. We as God's people hold the remedy to the harassed and the helpless in this world. Those individuals are still in their sin. These are the people that Jesus saw. And when he looked at him, he saw they were sheep without a shepherd. And what that tells us is that someone does not have Jesus Christ in their life. If God is not their God and the Holy Spirit is not dwelling inside of them, then they are living out their purpose, they're living outside of their purpose for life, and the sense of something being off causes them to act out, but they can only act out through their sinful nature. They're sheep without a shepherd. We have to stop seeing people where they are, but to see what they need in life. And then we have to react to the situation just like Jesus did. Jesus felt for the people. Verse 36, he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. The word compassion carries a lot of different meanings. It means pity. Jesus felt pity for the people he saw that were hurting and harassed and helpless. It means to have a great affection. Jesus had an affection for people who were lost. When I read that, I, I realize how much more I still have to grow to be like Jesus. Because a lot of times I don't feel that way. I confess sometimes when I go into the city of Springfield and I see people sitting on the curb or looking for a handout, compassion's not my first thought. It's not my first emotion. I don't see them the way Jesus would see them. But since we can be like Christ... It means it's possible. Just to give you an example, a couple of weeks ago, Jamie and I went out and went grocery shopping. And we pulled into Walmart parking lot to park to go in and get our final groceries. And as we're pulling in, I saw this young couple just sitting there on the corner. Maybe you've kind of encountered that too when you've been in Springfield. And they had a sign. They wanted food, wanted money. I saw them out of the corner of my eye, but I didn't even give them my attention. I didn't wave, I didn't nod my head, I didn't smile at them, didn't honk my horn. I didn't even acknowledge their existence. I just drove right by. And you might be thinking, Pastor, that is so unchristlike. And you're absolutely correct. What I did do is I drove and I saw this young couple sitting on the side of the road asking for a handout. What I did do is my heart spoke to my brain, and I'm thinking, why in the world are you here? You are so young. Why don't you go get a job? 
That was my reaction. That was not compassion. I'm sharing because Jamie and I go in the store, we get the groceries we're going to get, and we come back out, and I start loading up the car, and, and she gets in, and, and I notice the same couple. They've now moved into the parking lot, and they're sitting underneath a tree, but there's a young man sitting there with them, and they're talking about something, and he's got some bags, and he's got some gallons of water, and so I'm curious enough that I'm going to take the cart to the closest cart corral so I can kind of eavesdrop. You know, we all like to do that, don't we? So I walk by, and this young man, I say young man because he's definitely younger than I was, is sitting here with this couple, and he's got a bag of groceries, and I could tell there was peanut butter and bread and chips, and he had some water with him, and he's engaging in conversation, and I really try to listen intently. You know what this young man was doing? Sharing the gospel. He took time out of his day, money out of his wallet, to go and help people who were in need, And it opened the door for him to share the gospel. He had compassion. I had conviction. (laughs) I felt lower than dirt. So we get back in the car and I just had to ask God for forgiveness. The word compassion, it carries the meaning of having one's heart go out to another. It's not just affection but it's to have a great affection for another human being. Jesus saw his people on his tours, he's going about, and his heart, the heart of God went out to them. This is the heart we need. And I know at times we can get burned. I know at times we can see things. I know there are times there's individuals who are wanting handouts and you try to give them food and they get mad because they they want money instead. I know that, but we can't allow people's reaction to impact our heart and how we love them and how we treat them and how we see them. Not only to have compassion for the physical, but again, to have compassion for the spiritual. Here's a question I had to ponder on this week. Does my heart break for people who are still lost? Does my heart go out to people who are still in their sin without Christ, knowing that if they, this was the last day they lived on this earth, they would be eternally separated from God? Does our heart do that? And the only way we can answer the question is how active are we in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Jesus saw these people and he had compassion. Again, another definition of compassion, it carries the image of feeling love for someone from your bowels. It's a deep level of emotion as you look at people who are helpless and harassed and discouraged and cast out, nowhere to go and nowhere to turn. These were the people Jesus came to save after all, right? He obviously loved them. He's going to lay down his life for them. And Jesus saw them as people who were torn down. And it moved him not to walk to the other side of the road, not to look the other way, but to reach out to them in their state of need. Here's another definition of compassion. Having compassion, being like Jesus, means we go to the people, we see them, and then we be moved in such a way that all we want to do is benefit them in some way. And again, I know you're going to get burned. I've been burned. 
Since I gave a negative, I want to give a positive so you don't think I'm the horrible pastor. <laughs> so several years ago, we, we were out at a Chinese restaurant again in Springfield, and it's one of those rare occasions we had leftovers. Uh, and if you know my son, you know that is like never happens. So we had leftovers, and we began packing them up, and then we had this thought as a family that came into our mind and our heart, you know, we need to go find someone who wants food. Instead of taking it home that we can have it later, we're going to go take these leftovers, and we're going to hand it to somebody who's wanting food, who's hungry. And I kid you not, we drove around Springfield for almost an hour, and we could not find anybody on any curb. It was like, I, it was a beautiful day. I don't know where they went, but we had food, and so we were so disappointed. Another time, we were up at Walmart once again, over on a Kansas Expressway. And we're driving down, we're getting ready to leave, and there's a guy standing on the corner there by that gas station. And his sign didn't ask for food, it wasn't asked for money. He, his sign says, I need shoes. And I looked, and he was definitely barefoot. And so I did the dumbest thing I've ever done. As I rolled down the window, and I said, what size are you? <laughs> he didn't care. <laughs> he just wanted something to put on his feet. And so we, we had a little conversation, and I, I, in my head, I was thinking, I have, have all these shoes at home. And so right then and there, I took off my shoes, and I threw them at him. No, I'm just kidding. You don't, who throws a shoe, right? Um, I handed him to Jamie. She gave him to him. We tell him God loves you. Drove off. But that's compassion. And that's the thing that God's working on my heart, and maybe he's working on all of hearts, is that we need to start seeing people as God sees them, and we need to change our emotional or mental reaction to them. Kids or the, the people we see on the side of the street, those, that was someone's kid. That was someone's baby at one point in time. And something happened. We have the remedy. We have the cure. We can point them to Jesus Christ. And again, I know there's times we're going to burn, but we can't allow that to stop allowing our heart to go out to them. This is what makes us different from those who don't have Christ when we show them compassion, we allow them to see Christ in us and through us. As Jesus looks out into the crowds, he noticed what we all need to understand. There are a lot of people in the world who are hurting. And without Jesus, there are not enough people to reach them. Jesus understood even he couldn't reach everybody. Look there in verse 37. He, he tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus saw this great and abundant field of people in need. And in this moment, he, he relates to his disciples, look, I can't even reach all of them by myself. So we got to pray for people to begin joining the cause to reach out to those who are helpless and hurting. He says to pray earnestly about this. He wasn't telling his disciples, I want you just to shoot up a prayer, oh Lord, please uh, help them in some way or be with these people. That word earnestly there, verse 38, pray earnestly. It means to plead and to beg. He's telling his disciples, I want you to plead and to beg as people have been brought to me who need healing, have been pleading and begging for me to heal them, just like we saw last week with the two blind men who were shouting and crying aloud over and over again, have mercy on us, son of David. That, that's that word earnestly. It's to plead and to beg. It's to fall down before the holy God and beg God to move in another's life as much as we might beg God to move in our life. When we come across an illness or a disease or a difficult situation, I have no doubt in Jesus' prayer life he did this, earnestly begging God to send people out into the harvest field, to send people out to the hurting and to the helpless. And now he's talking to his disciples and he said, look, I'm inviting you to join the work. 
you're going to come alongside me. Interestingly enough, if you look in chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples for the very first time. As if they were the answer to his prayer, which they were. So Jesus says, you need to pray earnestly to the Lord of Harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. And then he looks at the disciples and says, oh, look, there's 12 of you. Go. Go to the people. Go out into the harvest field. You know, we can't do it on our own. A preacher isn't enough. Some of y'all, I've had kids think I actually live here. <laughs> or I own the church. I don't. But a preacher isn't enough. I can't do all the work. Ministry teams aren't enough. They can't do all the work. You know what? Even if 100% of the Harvest Hill Church family were engaged in reaching the lost, we still wouldn't be enough. So we pray, Lord, use me. Lord, send me. Lord, bring others who have a desire to labor in your field with me. Do you notice what, how Jesus defined the harvest field? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. It was all understanding that everyone we encounter, they belong to God. God created them. God knows them. God loves them. God wants them. This is the God we serve. This is the God that wants to use us to reveal the good news of Jesus Christ. And in praying for people and praying for more workers, we become like Jesus. Jesus loved the people. Prayer is one of the greatest tools we have in engaging in the world. Are we praying for the lost people that are in our life, praying for them by name. That's our harvest field. Are we praying for the lost people that live in our community? That's our harvest field. Are we praying for those who are dejected and cast down that we see almost every day? That's our harvest field. And we are praying to God to open doors so we might use for his glory and ultimately glorify him. This is the understanding of the harvest field belonging to God. It's the same language that God did when he spoke to Joshua. And he was sending Joshua and the Israelites into the promised land for the first time to take it. He says, look, I am giving it to you. I am gifting it to you. And the way, reason God can do such a thing, the reason this field is called his field, is because God is the rightful owner of all things. He was the owner of the promised land. Even though there were kings and kingdoms and armies that lived there, God owned them. He is the owner of the lost. They just don't know it yet. All people are made in the image of God and therefore belong to God, but they need to know God. This is why the ownership, this ownership is why in the end God is the righteous judge over all people. The commission given to Joshua, and you can go read it later this afternoon, you want it's in chapter 1, is the same given to us. Go, be strong, be courageous, all the while clinging and dwelling in the presence of God. Perhaps you're here today and you feel like the people that Jesus saw. You feel tired and you feel beat down. Turn to Jesus. I know that sounds simple, but turn to Jesus. You may be a child of God, but you're feeling harassed. You're feeling worn out, just like these people. Well, Jesus calls us to come and rest and remain in him. You may be here and you're still in your sin. And so my 
plea for you is to accept Jesus. Without Jesus Christ, we are all like sheep without a shepherd. What that phrase means is you have no one to nourish you. You have no one to lead you. You have no one to protect you. And Jesus brought you to this place because he doesn't want to leave you in that state. He's brought you here because he sees you. Jesus knows you. Jesus understands you even if nobody else does. Jesus loves you. And he brought you to this place, if you're still in your sin, to accept his incredible love for you, which is what the gospel is. To find forgiveness for your sins and be given eternal life. And it's very simple. The Bible says we admit to God that we're a sinner. What that means is we, we miss God's holy standards. We fall short of that. We shoot air balls. We whiff. We miss the mark. And so we come to God and we admit that we're a sinner, but we believe that Jesus Christ came and lived the life we couldn't and died for our sins. He took our punishment on the cross. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later. So he can show that he has the authority to forgive all sins and grant eternal life. That's what we refer to as salvation. And the Bible says when we believe in our heart that that is true, then we must confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when we confess him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we will be saved. We will be forgiven. And this is an incredible forgiveness because it's past, present, and future. God forgives it all. That's how much he loves you. If you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be standing here as we sing a song of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come down. But maybe you're here and you got convicted just like me as I was going through this passage that my heart needs to change. God needs to do a great mighty work in my heart that I would have compassion towards people and see them in their state of need just as Jesus did. We're going to pray. We call this a time of invitation. I invite you to come as we stand and we sing if you need to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for giving us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me when I don't have compassion and I don't imitate you. Father, this world is hurting. We can see it every day and hear about it every day. But your word tells us it's hurting because it's sin. And sin is destructive. Because Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But you have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. So, Father, I pray for us as a church family, Lord, that we would be workers and laborers in your harvest field. That we would be going out and teaching and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And we would see people be healed of their sin. So use this for your glory. And Father, in this moment, if someone's here this morning and they heard that message of salvation and they understood it for the first time, I pray in this moment that your spirit would bring them to the front, that they would make a public confession of faith. And Father, this would be the day of their salvation. We love you and we pray that your kingdom and will continue to be done in this time. And praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.